This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Good morning. My name is uh, Matt Prechter. I'm the children's pastor here at Church of the Resurrection. Um, a little disappointed not to see more of my congregation out there, but I'm sure they're doing important things this morning. Um, friends, I, I have to say, uh, reading, uh, preparing the sermon for John 1, it's not exactly a res kids uh, passage. No. It's a bit abstract there, and I just kept asking the Lord what it is that he wanted me to say about this passage. One church father said, you just need to read the passage and sit down. Don't even say anything. I thought, well, that's not helpful, and I don't think that would go over very well. So I just kept saying, Lord, what is it that you want to say to your people this morning, this Christmas morning? And then as I was reading the passage, I just started to laugh. I just started to laugh. And I didn't understand initially where this laughter was coming from. And then it hit me. I think the Lord wants us to all know this this morning. The gospel is actually a brilliant comedy. Think about how comedy works. Why do we laugh at certain things? It's usually because, we've, because of some kind of surprising incongruity. When we put two things together that don't belong together. Think of the movie Elf, which we've learned is uh, not, Bishop Stewart is not an elf person. Or maybe, I don't know, I'm not sure, but in any case. Um, think of the movie Elf and why the movie Elf is funny to us. It's a story about uh, uh, you know, Will's Ferrell, Will Ferrell's character, Buddy the Elf, he, he is adopted uh, by Santa, and he becomes one of Santa's elves, but he's actually a grown man. And there's this incongruity between the grown man, Buddy the Elf, and all of his other elf friends and classmates. So think about the time when he's sitting in his classroom, towering above all his elf classmates, or crushing his elf opponents in ice hockey. It's this surprising incongruity that makes us laugh. Or think about the scene in Jim Carrey's version of A Christmas Carol, where Scrooge is literally shrunk down to size by the ghost of Christmas past. And you hear Scrooge raging at the world, but in this tiny chipmunk voice. So you have on the one hand how seriously Scrooge takes himself, and how seriously he ought to take himself. And the contrast strikes us as funny. Comedy is about incongruity, a surprising reversal when what we expect collides with what actually occurs. And when I look at this morning's gospel passage, I see incongruity. I see surprise. And that's why I couldn't help but laugh. If you're not already there, go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. That's page 886 in your pew Bibles, right there under your chair or in the chair in front of you. Let's walk through the text together, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 1 sets us up for a surprising reversal. But in order to pull off the comedic twist that John gives us later in this chapter, he needs to linger a little bit on the majesty of the word that was God. So let's linger there with him. 
The Greek word used here for uh, word is logos. And I mentioned that because if you walk down Lincoln Ave to the library at Wheaton College and you open up a dictionary of philosophy, you'll find that the word logos has over 20 entries spanning multiple pages. To a first century Greek and John's audience, logos is a word packed with meaning. It can mean anything from ordinary speech to logic, to reason, to a divine principle that governs the created world, and so on and so on. But logos can also mean ordinary human speech, as I've said. Now let's try to understand this passage as though John is saying simply and straightforwardly that Jesus is the speech of God, the self-expression of God. Think about how human speech works for a moment, and consider how hard it is to convey all that you mean with your words. Did you write a Christmas card this season to your spouse or a loved one? Did you struggle to express everything you feel for that person? Think about the number of times you've written a card to someone with the phrase, words just can't describe how much I appreciate you. Or, I can hardly express how thankful I am for you, etc. Sometimes those are just sort of filler words, you don't really know what else to say, but sometimes it's a genuine struggle. You just can't find the words. We write this because we're groping for the words to express ourselves, but we know that somehow they're not enough. They can't capture everything we feel. It's almost like we're trying to make our words take on flesh. But in John 1, we have the entirety of God's self-expression concentrated in the Son of God. We have God's own word about himself and absolutely everything we need to know about the Father we know in Jesus Christ because as verse 18 tells us, Jesus Christ has made the Father known. In fact, let's look at that whole verse I just referenced. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, meaning Jesus, has made him known. Instead of at the Father's side, some translations say close to the Father's heart, as your ESV footnote will say or from the bosom of the Father. But in any case, what John is saying is at the very heart of who Jesus is, is the relationship of love between the Son and the Father, which means that the Logos is God's complete and perfectly expressed love letter to the world. Now for the comedy, the surprise. You see, what you will not find in the many usages of the word logos in ancient first century Greek philosophy is any notion that the logos could become flesh, that God's love letter lives and breathes. That's the surprise. Now, if you don't see the comedy, maybe it's because you've taken the incarnation a bit for granted. Maybe you accidentally assume that it was inevitable and obvious that God would become a human but let me tell you, you won't find this story in any other religion or cultural narrative. Yes, the Greek gods would come down to earth disguised as humans to make mischief, but they were disguised, not revealed in their fullness by doing so. 
And yet the Word, the Logos, who transcends time and space, by whom God made heaven and earth and all that is, both visible and invisible, he came down to be born of creatures that he created. I wonder if even Mary couldn't help but laugh as she pondered the mystery that she carried in her bulging belly the flesh of her own maker. The the 16th century Anglican poet John Donne writes in his poem entitled The Annunciation, thou, meaning Mary, art now thy maker's maker and thy father's mother. Thou hast light and dark and shuttest in a little room immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. Do you see the incongruity that I'm talking about? Consider another surprise in verses four through five. Look at them with me. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The comedian uh, Jim Gaffigan, when he was asked what it's like to have four kids, he replied, well, just imagine that you're drowning and somebody throws you a baby. (laughs) To a world drowning in darkness, God throws us a seven and a half pound baby. God gives us himself by becoming totally dependent as a baby on creatures that he created. And in this place of utter dependency, Jesus relies. The creator of heaven and earth relies on a mother to feed him to change his diapers, to clean up his spit up. And when he hits his terrible twos, or terrific twos, as my wife Christy prefers to call them, he'll need help regulating his emotions. And even though through him all things were made, he'll probably still ask the question, why endlessly? And if he wants to understand who the God of Israel is, who he is, he'll have to sit at the feet of his mother and Sunday school teachers and participate in the rituals, rites, and feast days of his parents' faith. That's what our God became. That's the position of submission that he put himself in. And you gotta wonder, does our God have no dignity at all? But actually, It's this self-aware humility on the part of God that actually shows us his humor, both in the peculiar and in the ha-ha, unexpected kind of way. And while we have no record in the Bible that I could find of God's raucous laughter, we see it clear as day in his humility. So in my paraphrase of St. Paul, though Jesus Christ was equal with God in every way, he chose not to be the kind of God who exploits his power over his creatures, but instead he humbled himself by becoming our servant, even to the point of dying for us. And in doing this, I want to suggest that God plays a, a kind of joke on himself. by saving us pitiful creatures in the most unexpected, surprising, incongruous of ways, and what is certainly not the way we imagine divinity to behave. But that's what God's humor is like. He plays the joke on himself, and we're all invited to laugh with him. That's why Christmas 
is a time of joy and laughter. Because at the beginning, deep down, at the foundation of all that exists, there is and always has been laughter. God doing the unexpected, the unforeseen. Laughter, comedy, humor is fundamental to who God is. So at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I'm following you, hopefully. So God throws us a baby, and there's something comedic about that in the sense of being unexpected. But how does throwing us a baby actually save us? And one way I could answer that is by pointing to the cross and the resurrection, by saying, well, he came, and then, yes, he lived a life, but then cross, resurrection, and that's how he saves us. And certainly, the cross and resurrection is, the, is our salvation. But I want to press home to you this morning that the actual coming of God through this surprising and unforeseen birth of Jesus is itself good news of salvation. This is itself laughter that is medicine for a heart-sick world. Because by making God present in history, God's humor which doesn't trivialize the darkness. He isn't having a joke at our expense. No, by making God present in history, God's humor unambiguously exposes the humor of the world. And that, that is a humor at our expense. The humor of the world is at our expense because the ruler of this world, the devil, his joke is always on you. The joke is never on himself, like with God's. The joke is always on you. Think of the number of times you've fallen back into that sin you've been trying to kick for years, or when you failed to live up to an ideal you made for yourself, like being the best mother or father or student or friend or whatever you can be. And all your failings, do you not also feel mocked? Or consider our current world of environmental catastrophe or the threat of nuclear war or political chaos. If humanity hoisted itself up on its own gallows, would no one out there be laughing? Isn't our condition, which John describes in verses 4 through 5, as living in darkness, isn't our condition as humans the experience of feeling like we're living at the expense of someone else's joke? And if we could spot the devil, we might try to make fun of him in return in a desperate attempt to interrupt the relentless mockery. But the problem is that the devil always evades us because even though he's out there prowling about like a roaring lion, he does so always in a form other than himself. He masquerades, for example, in the form of your conscience, whispering things to you like, you really are as unlovable as you fear or you really are alone and nobody likes you, or you're a failure as a mother and your children will hate you, or masquerading as society or culture, whispering, you should hate your body, or you should just be yourself, everyone else can accept you or take a hike. And when we listen to these voices, the joke is on us. He's like an anonymous Twitter account, trolling everyone and anyone, and when you finally had it and you write a scathing response, you might just realize you've been played, and the joke is actually on you, because your words can't touch whoever it is behind that profile sowing chaos. The devil knows our tendency 
to treat anything in this world as though it were ultimate, as though it were the only thing that matters. And he exploits that for his enjoyment by making you obsessed with yourself or someone else or your reputation or with lust or money or power. It's the same old jokes and they're always on us. The devil's jokes are meant to keep our eyes chained to the things of this earth rather than allowing our eyes to be lifted up to behold the glory, glory as of the only Son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is trying to help us see the world in a new way, beginning with an eternal perspective. In the beginning, says John, was and is and always shall be the love of God for this drowning world. And if we see the bigger picture, the picture John gives us, we can learn not to take the world or the devil as seriously as it takes itself. We can learn to laugh at the incongruity of the world's false sense of self-importance. The world acts as though all that ever it was and is and shall be is this world. And by doing so, by laughing at that incongruity, we can actually survive whatever it is the world or the devil throws at us. But we can survive it only because God's humor has revealed it, that is, the joke of the devil, as laughable. Laughing at the world's self-importance, though, does not mean treating the world as though it doesn't matter at all. Laughing at the world's false sense of self-importance means that despite all the wars and rumors of wars and insurrection and anarchy that plague the news today, we can know that there's a growing edge of hope that a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And because the darkness can never overcome the light, we, people of God, always have a reason to laugh. Friends, I don't want to diminish the problems in your life or in the world, but the Savior has come in the most surprising of ways, and God is inviting us to laugh with him and by doing so, to become his children. And to that end, I invite you this morning to take everything you're carrying, anything that's weighing you down, and put your hope in this little seven and a half pound baby. God has come, just as he said he would, but in a way that we never expected. And it's the most marvelous comedy ever written. One that we will watch and rewatch every year and will rewatch for eternity and will never tire of laughing and crying and saying, let's watch it again. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.